Your construction smells of corruption. I manipulate. Happy holidays, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Cloud Based Mayhem. I hope you are enjoying these final days of 2020. And I hope, like you, it'd be fun to look at this year in the rearview mirror. Uh, what a crazy year it has been. My guest today is Tim Pentreath. I met Tim up in the lakes a couple years ago. I was on tour with Ed Ewing with North and Known, and they scheduled a couple classes for me to teach. And we're calling it master classes. They were really based on Hike and Fly and Bibby, and Tim was one of my students. Well, that's kind of funny though. He knows a lot more than I do, but he's been flying 30 years and uh, was, you know, regularly chases it on X contest and very well-known British pilot. And right after those class, he got he took that class because he really wanted to get into Bibby. And after that, he certainly did. He's been doing some really cool lines with some other friends in the Alps with kind of no objective, just, you know, having fun in the sky and doing it safely and covering ground. So uh, this conversation is all about Bivy and gear and how to get into it and where are good places to go to practice and what are the kind of minimum skills you need. So we put out this survey quite a few weeks back on how we can improve the podcast and and many of the people asked for more shows on Hike and Fly and Bibby. So here you go. Enjoy this great talk, super fun talk with a good friend of mine, Tim Pentry. And invite you all to go look at the show notes in for this episode to see some of Tim's great videos. He's been documenting these these baby trips he's been taking and they're they're a lot of fun. So enjoy. Tim, uh, so awesome to have you on the show. We met a few years back now. It's crazy how fast time flies, but we met it up at the lakes doing a little hike and fly gig with, with Jockey and, and Ed Ewing at XC Mag. That was super fun. I can't wait to get back there. I've been watching all your videos and pictures of the amazing flying you guys do in the UK. And since that talk, and I don't know if maybe it was before that, but you've done some awesome bivvies in the, in the Alps. And I know people have been following, following along those as I have. And so I, I can't wait to talk to you about that, but maybe a good place to start is just a brief, you know, one page on your history of flying. How'd you get into this absurdity? Hey Gavin, well, it's, uh, it's fantastic to talk to you. Thanks very much for inviting me on the show. Oh gosh, how did I get into it? Well, if you, if you go through it all, it's probably more than a page because I've been flying for uh, 30 years this year. I started in 1990. Wow. And uh, yeah, I know back in the, uh, in the dim and distant past. What the hell was um, I doing teaching that course? We should have turned, we should have had you do it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. Yeah. Not quite as uh, full on as you, I don't think. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I got into it. Um, I used to do a lot of windsurfing. And back in those days, there was a windsurfing mag that I subscribed to. And it had an article about paragliding, how it was the ideal sort of light wind alternative to windsurfing. Um, And I'd also seen it on telly. There's a, a French pilot, and I've forgotten his name. And it won't come back to me, I know. But he climbed three of the highest peaks in the Alps or the famous three famous peaks in the Alps and, and paraglided off all of them. And I think that was in the late eighties. And I, it was, I must've seen that on, you know, terrestrial telly. That was all there was at this, at that time. 
And, you know, that piqued my interest. And then when I saw this article in, in um, Boards magazine, that was it. Signed up there and then with a couple of mates. And uh, uh, the rest is history, I suppose. Uh, it's, it, I find it really interesting, this flow sport to flow sport thing. You know, Will Gadd talks about that. In fact, I was just reading his chapter in the book. You know, we're kind of editing that all up for release here shortly. And he was talking about, you know, when people come from other flow sports to flying, it's it's often a pretty good transition. And, when, you know, when you're not, so say like climbing or triathlon or something, it can often be a, a really tough jump because the people that are into flow sports are attracted to flow sports. And I, because I, I, I did the same thing. I was a kite surfer before a pilot. And I think it's, you also have that advantage of understanding the invisible quite a bit better. You understand how exactly. air works and how water works. If you're a kayaker, I'm, I'm amazed by how fast kayakers get really good at flying. Yeah. I, I mean, I totally agree with, with the, as you're saying, the flow sports and you mentioned that on a, just one of your recent podcasts. Um, and I've I've since um, become a kite surfer myself and sold all my old windsurfing kit for virtually nothing, sadly. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I I don't have, yeah kayakers. Yeah, you've got the the whole sort of water um, flow around you know rocks, uh, which is synonymous with the air. Um, and I, you know, I've, I've been sailing and windsurfing and, and for years really, and and just teaches you about the the air, and you can react to those little shifts you know like especially when you're kite surfing you're constantly on the bar in and out just adjusting to minute um you know active flying i suppose really mm. you know that's exactly what you're doing yeah exactly yeah i mean you're just the pendulums may be a little bit different but it's it is active flying um yeah and when did so i can't even remember when when we did the the master's class was 20 it was after Alaska came out because that's what it was. It was really I was kind of touring with the film, so that must have been twenty seventeen. Twenty. That's what I was going to say. Twenty seventeen. And were yeah. were, were you already well into Bivy at that point, or was that kind of the the launching ramp? That was the launching ramp, really. I, I would, you know, it'd been on my radar. It's one of those things that I'd thought about doing for quite a while, um, but had never really sort of plucked up courage to take that first step um and it was that later that summer that i did actually my first just that was an overnight volbiv but still volbiv yeah down in south of france what was the catalyst really i mean was, was it just okay you know you'd done the comp scene or was it just something you were looking for something different with flying yeah i'd done i've done a, quite a few british open comps over the years never taken it too seriously i've always uh, for most of the time, was just on uh, serial class gliders, you know, sports class. Um, and then I think it was probably 2017, I got my, moved on to, no, I had a three-liner before, but I moved, moved up a, up a, a level to a D-class glider. Um, actually, having said that, I flew a, my ooh, back in the day i had a nova sphinx which was uh, that was my second ever glider and uh, i think that was 94 i got that and that was a uh dhv 23 in back in those days which is equivalent of a d but then i went back to you know back to c-class gliders um until i started getting uh into into the um omega exalt series um so yes yeah, 2017 um i was still doing comps i but i just 
I felt there was more to it and just wanted to do some more adventurous stuff, really. You it's guys just are... the... Go ahead, what? I was going to say, it's just the, 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 the freedom that it gives you when you're not constrained by, uh, you know, retrieves or getting back to the car. Um, you know, that's what that's what's so liberating about Volbiv. And what was the, uh, you know, later that year when you did the, the one night, but when you when you decided to head over to the Alps and do your first big one there, what was what was the preparation like? What did you feel like you had to kind of figure out beforehand? Well, on that one, I um, that was in 2018, and so the, the one the one day one the year before was you know, I'd been down for a, four or five days staying with a a, a friend uh, Nigel Cooper down in Saint Andre, and he knows that area like the back of his hand, and I know it pretty well from and quite a few comps over the years. Um, so on that one, it was just a basic kit. He, I think I don't even think I had a stove for that one. I think he just, you know, we just used his little stove. So is on, yeah, that was a, if you like a proving ground. I borrowed someone's air mattress, which went down on the, in the night. Um, <laughs> I just, I didn't, uh, I, yeah, I had a bivy bag, uh, no tent or anything like that, and it it rained for about actually only twenty minutes. We were incredibly lucky because there were thunderstorms all around us. Um, but uh, so yeah, sleep was uh, a little bit hard to come by that night. But you know, just for one night, you can put up with it. Um, so that was a sort of trialing ground. But I mean, I suppose uh, in terms of preparation for the next trip, again, I did it with Nigel actually. So we had a sort of vague plan of where we wanted to go in terms of kit. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the fun things about it, isn't it? Just sort of spending days, weeks, months, sort of pouring over kit and, you know, looking at videos and getting stuff from AliExpress, you know, cheap tents and, and, and the like. And that's all part of the fun, I think, for, for most people, doing mm. that kit research. Yeah, I like, you know, it's funny to think back. There's that scene in the in the Alaska film where I'm like, I can't believe we forgot Gators. We had six years to prepare for this thing. You know, I mean, I had I had my stuff laid out for that trip in you know like January. You know, I've got this sunroom in the back of the house, and you know, okay, well that that's got to go. Okay, well that can come out. You know, just tweaking and tweaking and tweaking for months, and then we get up there and no Gators. Yeah, it's just, yeah, <laughs> it's pretty funny. Schoolboy era. Schoolboy era for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, take us down the road for where did you go where did you end up what how was your approach you know what i what i kind of want to fleece out a little bit is just you know for those that are embarking or thinking about embarking on their first bivy what are kind of the critical things what do, what do people need to know what do they not need to know what do they need to be concerned about i mean i would say don't overthink it too much really but mm. you know you want to especially if you if you're going to the alps for the to do it but i mean you could just you know here in the uk you can um you could have a simple one or two night bivy um in the, in the mountains of south wales or the hills um you know you're not going to fly hundreds of kilometers obviously um but you don't have to to have fun you know you can fly 20 or 30 kilometers and have a hike and then a camp and then so it's all it's all you know don't don't make it too much of a big thing i think is is the overall message i mean if you're going to the alps you have to plan it a bit more but again you know it, it, you might have this great 
trip plans, you know, from one side of the Alps to the other. But at the end of the day, it's just a series of flights and hikes. Um, and in the Alps, especially, there's always places to find water and food. Um, so you don't need to carry too much with you. Yeah. Is that, does that answer that question? Is, yeah. I'm trying, I'm, I'm thinking about too, like, are you, uh, are you doing, are you still using a bivy sack? Are you just using a tarp? Are you using a tent? Uh, you know, how heavy is your gear? Um, drill down a little bit more on, on the gear you're using for these Alps trips. Sure. Um, so I've, I do actually have a, a kit list um, as a Google sheet so I can. Oh, great. Can we'll share that. that in the show notes. We'll put that in there. Uh, but just to sort of run through some of the things um, I use, I mean, uh, because because the I think in the Alps, especially, you, you're not in the middle of nowhere. There's always places you can find shelter if the weather is terrible. Um, you know, I haven't gone for a particularly expensive tent at all. In fact, far, far from it. You know, the tent I use a tent now rather than a tarp or a bivy bag. Um, it's it's one called. Uh, 3F Ultralight, and I can't remember the model name, but yeah, it's like 60 quid from, hmm. from on AliExpress. It's just a single single skin, um, but with use one of your walking poles as a, as the main sort of central pole. But it's it's fine. I mean, I'm six foot four ish, six foot three, and I can fit in it. Um, so yeah, that 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 does the job, and it's 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 waterproof, which is you know, all, all you want for, you wouldn't want to live, spend all day in it, of course, but right. uh, yeah. So it's not, you know, it's not like, uh, you know, if I was doing a trip, like one of yours, you know, the Alaskan one, you want something a bit better for sure. Yeah. I always, it's, it's, it's interesting because I've gotten a lot of comments over the years, both from the Rockies one and the, and the Alaska one, uh, why were you guys carrying so much gear and it looks so heavy and you could have done this and you could have done this. And my, feeling around bivy is that we're not racing you know it's it's not the x alps that you know i've 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 put together put all this energy into putting together this trip i'm not trying to make it end <laughs> i want to be out there it, and like you say you're not i'm never trying to crunch kilometers on bivy i mean of course, you know if you're handed a if you're gift wrapped a beautiful day, then take advantage of it, go for it. But, you know, to me, it's about the, you know, I, I love the camping and the tramping and the, you know, just watching the sunsets. I'm not in a hurry. And so, and then the flip side of that is I, I also, I want to eat really well and I want to be super comfortable and I want a tent that I can sit up in and listen to podcasts and write in my journal. And I, I just, I, I guess I find that it's better to put a little bit more, effort into being fit and you know like i like my little espresso maker <laughs> you know i love that <laughs> stuff because you've got all this time you know if if you wake yeah. up in the morning and you're just like oh we just got to go well then you know uh of course you're you can go a lot lighter but you know you can go x out style for sure but i don't know i'm not i'm never in a hurry and i don't i just don't mind carrying the extra weight and then if you carry the extra weight you need better food you know and you're you're i often find you are a little bit sleep compromised and so you know food and being comfortable helps yeah you, you you're right there i mean um i i the most expensive bit of my kit is the is a sleeping uh it's the mattress, the air mattress, mm. the air bed. Um, and so I've got a, a, a Thermarest um, Neo Air, 
which yeah, um, that's great. That that yeah, she's really good. It's nice and warm, um, and it does the trick. And for the first, well, up until this year, I just used my glider to sleep under, and then I was. We had this discussion with some friends um, about, you know, pros and cons of sleeping bag versus a quilt versus, um, uh, you know, versus under sleeping under your wing. And this year, I, I, made, I sacrificed um, talking about coffee, <laughs> coffee makers. I ditched my little espresso machine, uh, my little mocha thing, and instead used the way to, uh, yeah, I bought a quilt, uh, a down quilt, mm. and that was. That was really nice and comfortable, actually. That was perfect. Um, you know, I don't like the feeling of being zipped up in a in a tight sleeping bag, but a quilt was just uh, worked worked really well. Oh, interesting. So what what I do is I I have a really good sleeping bag. Now, if it's a summer bivy, then I can go to a much warmer bag. By that, I mean a warmer rated bag, uh, you know, and down. But I have the I have a down bag that's like a zero degree bag for, you know, for something like Alaska. But then when I add to that, and again, this is extra weight, but I just have a silk liner, you know, it's like a little mini, it's like another sleeping bag. And then, you know, cause if you're going for days and days and days, you're kind of gross and and that just keeps your bag nicer. And it's also just really comfy. Uh, you know, it's kind of, so that's, but that's a little bit on the plush end of things. For sure. Um, uh, I, but a quilt's a good idea. Liner, I hadn't thought idea. about that. That's a great idea. I mean, this whole, like, you know, sleeping in your wing sucks or sleeping. I, what I do with, you're totally right about the pad. I, you got to have a pad. And what I do is put the pad, I put, I still put the wing underneath the pad. You know, so I kind of a thin little pad and then it's just extra, you know, but then it's not making the noise and it's just a little bit extra cushion. I'm getting old. I need the cushion. Yeah, I haven't tried the, putting the wing under it. I know I know a friend of mine did on one of the trips, but uh, it, it seems like actually sleeping on top of your wing is going to be squashing it. And you, if you're, totally. you know, turning over three or four times or an hour, which I seem to do, um, <laughs> you're, you're probably going to end up trashing it. So, yeah, I haven't, haven't, haven't done that. Um uh, what else? Are you um, guys cooking a lot? Are you how how are you handling your food? Because um, that that's always a big kind of Achilles heel for folks. It's yeah that that part's that's tricky because food's heavy. Yeah, I carried about uh, this this most recent trip. Um, I think about seven or eight days worth of, of food, which was a bit overkill. Really, I had I had a few you know quite a few packets left, and so I, I had those. Uh, you know, you know, there's ones you just open the, the packet and you pour in boiling water. Yeah. I mean, I think the one I the brand I've got is called Adventure Foods, um, and you know, it, it's fine. It's in fact, it's more than fine. It's it's so convenient. Um, there's no washing up to do, which you obviously don't want to waste water. It's just pour it in, wait eight minutes, stir it up, and eat it. Basically, well, mm. stir it up before you wait the eight minutes. Um, and it is surprisingly nourishing uh, food. So that was the sort of evening meal. Um, breakfast, I had a tip from Greg Hamilton, um, the pro-nutra sort of South African protein cereal mm. um, he, he recommended. And uh, yeah, I sort of pre-mixed portions of that with a bit of milk powder um, and, and put it into individual little plastic bags and carry about, well you know, one of those for breakfast and, you know, a few spare ones, um, just as, you know, extra, extra food if I needed it. 
and uh, the, the only the only trouble with them is uh, well my wife and kids were uh, totally winding me up the very first time I did it because it looked very suspicious you know these packets of sort of white <laughs> and brown substances they were saying how are you going to get that through the customs yeah you know, I've the, had that one through the pasta sniffer dog <laughs> but I mean yeah <laughs> but I'd recommend that stuff you know you get banana flavor you get chocolate flavor and uh, it's it's very easy and you know, it worked out super cheap for just uh, a breakfast. Yeah, you know what I started doing, this seemed to work pretty well, was I would just take a, a Ziploc with the powdered milk and mix in a bunch of brown sugar. And that would be my, you know, that'd be for my cereal or for my coffee, you know, if you like sweetened coffee, which I usually I just do cream or something. But that was kind of a nice way to get rid of a bag and just have one thing, you know, a little bit more calories, a little more glycose, which is good. Um, yeah, yeah. And then I, I, I changed my coffee from, a, you know, when you just do the pour over coffee through a, through a paper filter and then you huck the paper filter, that this is just a permanent mm. one of those. It's just a metal mesh one, you know, so it, it fits down in my pot really perfectly and I could just put the coffee in there and then I'm not, and then there's no trash, there's nothing to burn. You know, it's kind of nice. You can just reuse it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I took some coffee bags this last time and. Mm. Didn't didn't actually use as many of them as I as I thought I would, but but they were they were they were great actually, very yeah. tasty. But yeah, someone's given me a little um, a little sort of plastic mesh thing that you can just tip coffee into and then dunk that in your in your you know cup of boiling water just like a tea bag. So I'll I'll give that a go because actually I'm, those those coffee bags are quite expensive. So this um, first this first one you did in in 2018, where did you start and where did you end, and what were kind of the what were the highlights? I mean that well, it was basically from uh, Colder Blaine I started, and then we I met up with Nigel on route. I mean that first day was just just ridiculous, really. I left home at something like three o'clock in the morning. I live in Bath in the UK. Uh, caught a flight from Bristol Airport which is about an hour's drive away um, to Nice. So I arrived at Nice at about 10.30 in the morning. And I was a friend of mine, Marcus, uh, Marcus King. Um, he met me there at Nice Airport, which is very kind of him. Drove me up to Calder Blaine. And we were at Calder Blaine takeoff for sort of midday. By half 12, I was in the air heading north. And I met Nigel. Uh, sort of on the on the Dormeluse Ridge, mm. he was you know he'd been flying from Saint Andre, and we met up crossed over the Lac de Serpenson together, mm. and uh, we just had an epic flight. We we landed high uh, above the ski resort of Orsiers, and so it's just you know Wicked. how can that be possible to be, yeah. be at home at three o'clock in the morning, and then that evening you're camping on a French mountaintop is was just incredible, you know, and especially after an epic flight, you know, like 120 kilometers or something, I think it was, uh, just amazing. And that zone, I mean, d d describe it for those who haven't flown it. I've just got the hugest grin on my face ever because I've spent quite a bit of time down in that, you know, in the Maritimes. It's just oh, it's epic down there. Um, d describe kind of what your what the scenery is like. I think people don't understand how big it is. Yeah, I mean it's not as big as you know the the Alps further north, the Northern Alps, um, but they're still 
bloody great big mountains mm. compared to what you see in the UK, clearly. <laughs> and you know, by the time you by the time you work your way up the Dormeleuse, um, you know, you, you've gone past some pretty pretty big peaks. You've gone past the Tête de la Strop, which is uh, oh, I don't know offhand, but it must be around about three thousand meters. Um, and then, and the terrain up to there is all—it's pretty rocky and rugged, and you've got some serious boonies. Once you go, you know, once, you know, once you've gone sort of twenty k north of Saint Andre, you're in—you've uh, got about, I would say, another twenty k of pretty boony countryside. <laughs> then you get onto the Dormeleuse Ridge, and then you've got the um, Lac de Serpensant, which is beautiful. Uh, just you know, by the time you get there, it's in the afternoon. You've got the sun sparkling on the waters, and it's bright blue waters. And the other side of the lake, you've got the Ekrins, which have got some very big peaks, you know, up to four thousand meters. Um, you know, it it's pretty mind blowing, really. What time was it's, this? June. You know, spectacular. Uh, no, th- this was. Um, uh, it would have been. That, this this trip was early July, actually 2018. Yeah, I think it was like the first, might have been the first week of, of July. Were you dealing uh, with much? Um, were you dealing with much valley wind then, or was it was it was it pretty good? Um, well, it, it just depends where you are, really. Um, the the flight up from you know San Andre up to the the Dormeleuse not really valley winds to contend with you know the, the train's a bit more sort of how should we say a bit more random it's not mm. particularly organized when you but when you when you get to cross the the lake um you yeah, get quite see. a strong westerly wind yeah, there Ekrens, so you've Ekrens got a rock up to Brianson and all that zone that can be windy yeah and up the Brianson valley you get quite a strong valley wind i'm told um uh so yeah it's in places for sure it's it's windy and but it's it's the obvious places where you where you have the valleys leading into the, the higher mountains um on that trip we for the next day we we flew um sort of we took the roundabout route um out towards grenoble rather than sort of a you know a deep what do you call it, a tiger line you know straight yeah. north through the Ekrins. that's a dream for another year yeah maybe not yeah, but yeah, we're up with the sort of traditional route, and and then the the second night we just Nigel and I camped. Well, we had a lovely flight. It was we'd done sixty kilometers or something, and uh, we uh, the weather was there was some big clouds building, and we just flew over this beautiful spot at the it's called uh, Taillefer, the Massive de Taillefer, and it's sort of not far from Grenoble really, and it's. You've got this. You fly over these uh, sort of peaks, and then you've got a plateau dotted with little lakes, and it was just magnificent. Um, so we decided to, you know, call it a day after sort of sixty k, and, and found a beautiful spot to to land um, right by the lake. And the first, the very first thing I did, I got out. I landed, you know, fifty yards from the lake, I suppose, and dumped my glider, dumped everything, and I. Just, I'd had an accident with the P tube. It just completely. <laughs> <laughs> so I totally pissed my trousers, and uh, so yeah, just dived straight. 
straight in the in the lake. It was uh, oh, nice. beautiful. The water was fantastic. So yeah, so sorted out those uh, little um, uh, little challenge, shall we say, and then you know rinse <laughs> rinse the harness down, <laughs> well and, then, and then got on with the business of pitching the tent and folding up the glider and stuff like that. But yeah, what a what a perfect spot that was. Really nice. And what was the well? You, I'll, I'll let you keep going with the rest of it, but just before you keep going with the rest of this trip, though, what was the style of it? You know, what 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 did you and Nigel agree to beforehand? Was there a you know you're staying together no matter what, or you're going as far as you can, or did did you have like when you wake up in the morning, did you have an objective, or did you just ah, let's just go flying? Um, we had originally sort of planned to try and you know get to Chamonix and and, and maybe further into Switzerland. Um, but actually after on, on day two on that, on that flight, we, we completely changed our plan because the, the weather further North was looking unsettled. So we, we ended up sort of doing a, a, a triangle around the outside of the Ekrins. Uh, the next day we flew you know, over towards, um, Brianson. In fact, we landed in Brianson and then the following day we flew back down to San Andre. So that was just a, a fairly mm. shortest trip. So we were, we were, we had no fixed objective. Each, you know, we were prepared to change, change plans in the air, um, and change plans from day to day. You know, that's a great thing. You just go with the flow, really. I think, you know, if you, if you set out to do a, a trip to fly the whole length of the Alps and you realize the weather was really, pretty poor further north then you could have a you know you could still have a brilliant week flying around the Ekrins and uh you know the alps maritime um you, there's plenty to fill your boots there yeah and how, how did you guys uh, how did you guys meet in the air that first day like well actually let me rewind did you were these dates just set you're going no matter what to nice or is it the kind yeah, of thing because yeah. you're in the uk you can just pull the oh weather looks good let's go well you could do that but um we no you know most times you do have to sort of actually pick a date you know, and mm. just sort of stick with it unless unless it's really really poor and in fact that i need to go back to how we met in the air but that brings me on to sort of this year's trip um where there was eight of us who who met up in san andre and we met up on the Sunday. This, this is sort of end of July this time. And the forecast really wasn't that great. You know, the first two days down in the Altmar team were forecast to be pretty windy and then unsettled further north. And we were having these discussions, uh, do we go, don't we go? And I think if I'd been on my own, I probably would have bailed on it. But um, actually, when we were there, the, the first day's flying Monday, we had a, another a fantastic day flying, you know, 100K north. Second day was great too. Um, so you just got to, it just goes to show really, you've got to, you've got to sort of be there. Um, yeah. Be in it to win it, I think is what they say. Yeah. And I mean, I think there's also a, there's a lot to be said for kind of, I call this the Nick Nanan's approach. You know, he, he does bivvies all over the world. You know, you, it's, it doesn't have to, it can be a long ways from banger. You know, you can get a little 
10K glide over morning glory in the morning and that's your flying day and it's epic. <laughs> you, know? you know, you're out, you're basically, you've just taken a flight you probably never would have as an experienced pilot because it's not that good. It's not a day to go flying, but it's totally safe and it's really, really, really pretty and you get to spend the day in the mountains, you know? And uh, so you, yeah, it's, you can do a lot with Bibby. That's what I love about it so much. Yeah, I mean, exactly. So whatever you do is some sort of an adventure, isn't it? You're not, mm. it's, the flying is is fantastic. And yeah, it would be pretty upsetting to spend a week and just get, you know, 10K glides in every day uh, rather than any, any sort of proper cross-country flights. But, you know, I'm sure if that did happen, you'd still have fun. It'd still be a memorable trip. Mm. Um so yeah, it's it's more than it's more than just about the flying. It's the people you meet on the way and the places you see, the whole sort of the whole experience. Um, just going back to sort of how we met up, how yeah. I met up with Nigel in flight. Um, pretty simple, really. He was using. Uh, I mean, we I could see him. I use Fly Sky High um, as my sort of instrument of choice on my phone, and. So that that will display you, your friend's live track. Um, Nigel was using; he doesn't use an iPhone. He uses uh, he was using XC Track, but yeah, he, he had another a live track twenty four app on his phone. So mm. so I could basically see him on my phone, and I could uh, you know I knew where he was. I could see him. Were you guys using from... radios too, or just just that? Yeah, we did. We did. Um, yeah, we did when we got closer. Yeah. yeah. Oh, uh, wicked! But, that's 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 pretty sexy. That's good. Yeah, it's, it it worked fine. It was it was really good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, plus I, we might. I think I probably, you know, messaged him um, using Telegram whilst I was in the air, saying, you know, I've taken off or something. Yeah, so he would have got that as well. Let, let's um, let's let's pause on this real quickly. What are what what have you got with you electronically? Yeah, so I mean, got the cameras and that sort of stuff so the gopro um is what i had this year previously i've had a um you know a cheap chinese equivalent which actually was more reliable ah, <laughs> i should say but get a garmin man get a garmin the they're so much better i have to I have to plug them oh, yeah, the verb is a the lot verb. better than the gopro yeah it's really nice yeah oh well i've got to make the i've got to make this gopro investment last a little bit longer, yeah, but yeah, maybe, right. yeah. of course um so yeah, I've got that um, radio. This year, I bought a, a you know the little stand for the a charging stand for the radio and a, a little uh, step up transformer cable to, mm. to make it work off USB. Because you know it's not a USB sure. radio; um, it's a, a few years older. Um, but in terms of yeah, instruments and you know flight deck, I had the I've got the Garmin Inreach Mini. Um, so that's really nice, uh, to have, to have that and to have the tracking on. Um, I've got, uh, for my Vario, I had a XC Tracer 2 Flam, just a, mm. a bit of reassurance True. to know that all those, yeah, sales, cell planes buzzing around you down in the Alps are going to, um, going to see, know you're there. Mm. And yeah, just my phone and a battery, of course, but a phone running, uh, fly sky high. Okay. So yeah, oh yeah. Well, and to charge it all, um, an anchor uh, solar uh, power pack. How how big is the? Do you know the wattage of the solar? Uh, panel? So fifty. Yeah, fifteen watts. Fifteen. Oh, so um, it's pretty pretty good size. Okay. 
Yeah, it's got two two panels. Oh. Um, and actually, the way I did it, I've got two two of the Anker 10,000 milliamp batteries. Yeah. So okay. I had, you know, they both start off fully charged. After the first day, one's getting low. Um, so the next day, I'll charge up that one whilst I'm flying um, and use the fresh one, you know, on my flight deck. Uh, Where do you hang the panel when you're flying? Yes, I had to had to do a bit of uh, experimentation to get this working properly. Um, but yeah, it, it's tied onto uh, basically not not the sort of carabiners, but yeah, close to the carabiners. And then I have it um, folded out on my legs. But I mm. I tried it once in the UK before before the trip, and it every time I put the speed bar on or every time I went a little bit faster, it would just blow up in my face. So I end up putting a little bit of elastic round, you know, from the, the bottom corners of it, around my legs, around the pod, ah. um, just to keep it in place. And that worked really well. Obviously, you, you ought to be extra careful when you're setting up ready that you, you haven't got any lines caught in this bit of elastic. But, and, uh, yeah, that worked really well. And what wing and what harness? So I've got the I've now got the Omega Xalps three, okay. so a two liner, um, and I've got the uh, Lightness three. Okay. Uh, yeah, and it's, oh, it's a fantastic combination, really. It, it, I got my uh, I got the Xalps three last summer, so summer 2019, and I it arrived two days before um, my planned you know volbiv in 2019 i was umming and ahhing because i had a uh, oxa 2 uh, xls 2 which is a three-liner so do i take the one i know or do i take the the you know the brand new two-liner um luckily i had an, an hour's flight on it on my local site um on the day before i was due to fly out and having had that you know hours flight i thought right you know You've got to, got to take the new one, really. And I, I spoke to Greg Hamilton as well, who also had one, and he said, "Yeah, you've got to take the new one." Um, so yeah, that was a great decision. His his advice when I had him on the show was that when you're going bivy or going light, so either one, uh, you should step down. You should cut. You know, if you're if you're if you're normally flying a two liner END, it's probably best to go down to a an ENC. You know, maybe even a high end ENC or but or mid mid level ENC or something for when you're going light, either light gear or if you're going baby. Do you do you agree with that? I, th- I think as a general rule, yeah. I yeah. mean, it's it's pretty sensible because it's not all about the flying. It, you know, whether you do ninety k or hundred k, you know, if if you had a a, a two liner, you you might do a little bit further, but it doesn't. It's not that important. You're not racing anyone. It's it's, it's just the the views and, and the experience that you're after. But I mean, not everyone has the luxury of having two wings. You know, sure. special a lightweight wing. I've just got the one glider, um, and I've only ever or I've only ever had one glider at a time. Um, so it's <laughs> you know you take what you've got basically, sure. and uh, for me. Yeah, I've been flying 30 years and I've gone from the Oxa 1 to the 2 and now the 3. Um, you know, going from a 3-liner D to a 2-liner D, there was no – it didn't feel like a, a, a step up in 
you know, in how, in how it handles in difficulty or anything like that, it was, if anything, it's sort of easier to fly. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a, for me, it's a, it's a lovely wing nice, to, nice to sweet spot on a positive Yeah. I mean, for sure, if I'd had a, um, something like a, a Yotta 2, uh, not the Yotta 2, the, um, the Z. And I, I should, I should mention that I've, I didn't do this in my sort of bio at the beginning, but I've been an advanced uh, ambassador and advanced uh, XC serial team pilot for well, since 2014. So mm. yeah, I'm like advanced kit. Yeah. But that's enough of that sort of plugging. But yes, I would have had just as much fun on an advanced Z or a uh, yeah any other sort of lightweight wing really. But for me, yeah. That, having the, the two liner is lovely, especially in such a light form factor. The lightness is. Does that have a carbon seat board, or is it just a hammock? It's just a hammock. Yeah. yeah. And any um, anything you want to say about that? It, it, you know, thirty years of flying. You know, imagine you spent most of the, that time flying a seat board. Is was there much adjustment? Was there much getting used to it? Pluses, minuses. Um, actually, my when did I? I've, Prior to the Lightness 3, I had a Lightness 2, which is also a Hammock 1. And prior to that, I had a Impress 3, which was also a Hammock 1. So I I hadn't had a seat board since my Impress 2, mm. so which is quite a long time ago. So, the, But the, the very first time I went in the Impress 3, yes, I was quite taken aback about how much feedback it gave you. Um, but the designs of the in the lightness range of, you know, the, the three is more, uh, what do you say, roll stable, I guess, than, mm. um, yeah, than the two, but even the, you know, the two was fine. So I, I, I personally like the comfort of just having the, the hammock. Um, yeah, just don't feel I need, yeah, I don't, I don't feel a seat ball will give me, give me any more. It's, I'm quite happy with the hammock as it is. And how do you how do you pack it? Is that you know? Because when I let's see, I'm trying to remember what I had in Supair. I had the Delight too, I believe. But I had to, you know, it has a pad, and so I had to remove to make space. I I removed the back pad. Uh, actually, no, you know, it was one one system, so I, I had no pad. It was you know, so mm. I, I would I was real careful about how I put everything in in terms of the sleeping bag and the sleeping. A pad under my butt, you know, I tried to get most of the soft stuff under my butt, but do, what do you, is that lightness, does that have plenty of space? Is it an airbag or can you just pack around it or do you have to remove stuff? Um, so there is a massive compartment right underneath the seat, which is when you're just doing normal XC flying or whatever, it's, it's got this big uh, foam mm. cushion. In. So once I realized how easy it was to take that out, um, you know, I, I, in that compartment, I could put my tent, my sleeping quilt, my mattress, um, a, uh, a poncho, um, and a, a couple of other things as well. So, and it, yeah, it's all always nice soft stuff. So that it probably gives you, you know, as good a protection as in there anyway. Sure. So yeah, so that gets rid of all that sort of soft, bulky stuff. Food. And the sort of food is quite heavy. That I got most of that in the sort of ballast compartment, which was, you know, which is underneath your your legs, front of the pod. Um, and that left the the back compartment. So yeah, on, on the Lightness Three, actually, it's got two 
it's got the uh, it's got a, a foam layer and then it's got um, Fastec, a sort of slightly harder, uh, more plasticky, more rigid protection. So I took that that latter bit out, the Fastec bit bit out, and just left the foam in there. Um, and then you know you shove everything else in there. <laughs> um, so yeah, there was there was sufficient storage. You know, you, yeah, there was not. You know, there's there's probably harnesses that are better suited for you know doing longer vol bibs for sure. But for you know, a week, ten days, two weeks, um, uh, lightness three is absolutely fine. Yeah, yeah, and the lightness too as well. They're pretty much identical, really, in terms of capacity. I think. And what do you use for a rucksack? Yeah, I just got the standard one that comes comes with the uh, with the lightness with the lightness. Okay. Yeah, and that's that's pretty good. It's got nice side pockets. And do you know so, how big it is? Yeah, uh, it's a ninety liter one. Ninety liter. Okay, and that's plenty of space for yeah. your seven days of food. Yeah, oh, I mean, sufficient. Everything yeah. has to be packed in pretty sure. well. You got to do a yeah, good job. It, it's, yeah, it, it you can't just chuck it in. Um, and in fact, when I get, get to go flying normally in the UK, like I was flying just a couple of days ago for a little. Hours soaring. I was, I was, I was thinking, how how do I get all my Volbib stuff in this? <laughs> you know, there doesn't seem to be much spare space in it. But once you actually pack it carefully, and you know you've you've taken out some of the padding, and uh, you know it all it all fits in fine. Yeah. And are you guys utilizing, you know, grocery stores, huts? Are you ever trying to top land and spend a night in luxury? Or is it all just kind of on the, the go? The preference really is the preference is landing high and uh, sleeping on the mountaintop. For me, I mean that was, uh, you know, that that's what the whole experience is about. Really, I like on this this year's trip. Uh, one of the sort of best days for me actually was, uh, I mean, was not the day. I, I mean, I had an amazing flight on one day, all the way from from sort of Verbia down to Bellinzona. Um, but then I landed, I landed low on that flight, you know, landed in goal at the Bellinzona landing field and then had to find somewhere to, to camp, um, in a sort of, you know, slightly built up environment. Yeah. And I, after this, I did find quite a nice place, but it, it wasn't the same. The next day I was expecting to have to do a lot of hiking because the weather forecast didn't seem that great, but actually I did start hiking walked about half an hour then the sun started coming out oh, this is this is mad uh, so i turned around and actually you know caught the gondola up to the takeoff at Mornira, mm. i think it's called yep. of bellinzona and i ended up having a wicked you know 100k flight and i i landed on this sort of plateau had an hours hike up to uh, i didn't know where it was but it was called monte padrio and just on my own up there Beautiful views all around. A um, few goats knocking around with their sort of goat bells tinkling away, and and that's the essence of it to me. Um, so that day, yeah, I had fantastic flying, but the whole the whole day was was probably the you know the best day just because of the beauty of where you end up, uh, you know, camping. So we, I got to hear uh, about your flight from Verbier to Bellinzona because that's exactly the opposite of my best day in the 2015 race that really put us back into it and you know 
18th to 8th that day. I went. I started in Bellinzona and I actually hiked. It was really stable. We had a really brutal inversion. So I hiked, I don't know, another thousand above Mornier, uh, you know, from the, so from that night we were kind of in Bellinzona and so hiked up above, way above that Mornier launch up in those big mountains up behind you and then flew to Verbier. Uh, you know, that was back when the Matterhorn was a turn point. So through that zone and then stayed really super tall and kind of floated into Verbier later that evening. And it, it was really strong headwind all day. So it was, that was an exceptional uh, day, but what, what was, what was your route going the other way? Oh, I mean, that sounds an awesome flight you, you described. There. Oh, it was I mean, just, it was unbelievable because, well, and most of the, you know, when I got into the Zermatt Valley and was pressing up into, I mean, it was a really windy day. This was not a wreck. I mean, that was a day that, uh, you know, Hansa and the Korean both flew in wave. The Korean got up to like 5,000 meters and, and was flying in wave. And, uh, you know, it was, it was strong headwind. So you were flying in the lee all day and, and just kind of pressing and then taking your hits and pressing. And, and, but when I got into the Zermatt Valley, everybody that it, it was in front of me, you know, from Bellinzona, basically I just cut the corner and went straight through that kind of, you know, there's the big sea that goes up to the Arolo and then the Newfoundland. And yeah. I just went straight across all that stuff. Just like, I, I just, I got to take some risk here where there's no way we're going to get to Monaco. So knowing that if I bombed out, basically my race was over, but, uh, you know, so I just went straight and then suddenly ended up kind of between the Simplon pass and the Newfoundland pass and like suddenly recognized where I was. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm, you know, one more move and I'm in the Zermatt Valley. Holy cow. And when I got in the Zermatt Valley and there was, you know, there's Guschelbauer. No, it wasn't Guschelbauer. Who was uh, Ferdinand and, you know, all these guys that had been, were way ahead of me that morning. I thought, oh, I've really caught up. I really caught up. And almost everyone went up and tagged the Matterhorn and then came back down the Zermatt Valley to cross the Rhone and get on the other side and keep going. And they, but my, my supporter, Bruce, just kept sending me messages as they were watching me going into there. Like, don't come back down here. You know, the valley winds were cranking up from, mm. uh, you know, from the west, and and so I just stayed high. I got a big, tall climb over the the glacier and and just bobbled across the top of you know above you know on the Siam side. I mean of the you know the south side of the Rhone, but you know you just you'd kind of take a beating on each one of those fins, and then eventually I just logged mm. into Verbier, which is kind of where one of the places I learned in the Alps you know, years and years ago. So. That was very special, you know, late in the day, looking down. Oh, I know this place. <laughs> yeah. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the line we took, uh, Chris and I, was with a, uh, my mate, Chris Ashdown, um, we'd, we'd spent, um, well, I'd spent a couple of nights in Verbier. The, the, the day before had been pretty rubbish weather. And actually, um, yeah, I, my, my Volbibs are, are not sort of pure, purists. They're not, they're not. Sure necessarily camping in a in you know camping every night if there's a if there's a if, if i remember there's a uh an apartment that my uh my brother's wife's family own in verbier i'm gonna i'm gonna use it and i did um uh, so i pitched up there for a couple of nights then that the the day of the flight we chris and i we hiked up um to the takeoff uh, it's a quite decent hike you know it's like three hours i don't know how many meters vertical i mean you'd do it in half the time gavin but for us uh, it was uh yeah that's a that's a, that's a pull. like a good old hike yeah but um yeah so we met these couple of swiss pilots um up on takeoff and they they in fact suggested flying to bellinzona so we thought yeah why not it it, it it was a it seemed like a sensible plan because the forecast for the next few days was was windy in the in those you know in the 
Western and Northern Switzerland. Um, so getting down south and using that as an entry into Italy sounded like a good plan. Um, so yeah, we we just um, we we hopped over the Sion Valley from Verbier at, at the first move. We took off about midday, um, and then just yeah, it's pretty straightforward sort of route all the way up to Fish, um, and we hopped south over the Rhone Valley just past Fish and uh, over. I can't remember the name of the pass. Newfoundland. It is the Newfoundland. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. How do you say that? New- I don't know if I'm saying it right either, but Newfoundland. Yeah. I, I call it the Newfoundland yeah. pass. Yeah. Okay. And that takes you into the Arola Valley. Yeah. And so, yeah, um, that, that going over the pass was, was spectacular. Some high peaks. Um, yeah. That's beautiful in there. Uh, it, yeah. It was lovely. It was question. We didn't quite know. I mean, I was, Chris was a few K behind me at this point. I was just on my own. I didn't know quite where to go. You know, there wasn't much working there. And it wasn't actually until I got into the Arola Valley that um, started finding good climbs again. And yeah, just followed the, the valley down. And, you know, after seven and three quarter hours, I was in mm. Bellinzo. Mm. <laughs> Glorious. I couldn't believe it. I just, you know, my Glorious. furthest ever flight in the Alps, the longest in the air, and just sat down in the landing field just go wow you know <laughs> oh, it was incredible yeah that, that's a special feeling how were but you but the thing is i i, I was happy to you know i'm happy to land there because i didn't think the forecast was that good for the next day and i thought i'd just do a bit of sightseeing around Bellinzona. but actually you know that whole business of being in a sort of more built-up area a town carrying your rucksack around 20 20 odd well, 23 kilos of everything uh came to it's it's quite difficult really so you know i don't know what had it well i ended up not even thinking about sightseeing i was just going to go and hike uh, and then i turned around and you know my plans changed and i i got the gondola up and then had that really nice flight mm. but it's always difficult when you if you end up low down and you you're in a town uh like later on in that, that trip i ended up in la vicha terme in the evening and where the hell do you find somewhere to, you know, pitch a tent yeah. in a town? And so on that occasion, I hiked up a hill. I started hiking towards takeoff only a little bit. And then up, there was this old house that was being renovated and had like a cement mixer in it. And a, I think there was a, a digger somewhere and some building waste. And I just sort of tucked, my, <laughs> tucked, tucked myself around the side um, on a bit of grass. So that wasn't very glamorous that night. Um, so you have to take the rough with the smooth. Yeah. And I mean, it's style is important to it, isn't it? I mean, there, there's there, the, the Alps are just so well suited for what we're talking about. Um, and, but it is nice to, it is nice to avoid that if you can, because it just, it really takes you out of it. I mean, this is the thing I can't stand about the X Alps and this isn't a sustainable attitude because obviously you want to get to Monaco. <laughs> That's the point, but getting to Monaco in, in 2015, you know, you, you've just had this, you're, you're in the mountains, proper Alps, and it's just so beautiful and so spectacular and all these fun little villages and huts and peaks and then you get the Monaco, it just doesn't, it doesn't add up. It's, it, it's really uh, disorienting. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you're just in this concrete jungle. So yeah. And so if you can, if you can bypass places like Bellinzona, all the better. And that takes me to the question, which is how important is top landing and 
let's let's talk about skills a little bit because I I do feel like yeah skills and weather. I want to ask you kind of how you also you know navigate uh, and deal with with weather. You know, you're just getting it on your phone that kind of thing. So I'm asking too many questions here, but talk about all that. Let's talk talk about the skill side a little bit. Yeah, well, we've last year. Um, oh, sorry, this year, last trip, we. Uh, we sort of opened it up to try and encourage, um, you know, people like I, I was uh, a few years ago who fancy giving Volvo a go, but hadn't quite plucked up the sort of courage to do it, you know, to give them a chance to do it in, in as part of a group. And so you do need to have flown in, in, in the Alps, in, in some mountains. Um, you know, you, you've got to have a, a more than just a passing understanding of valley winds and you know weather conditions in the Alps, um, because you know it's not just like going off on a downwind cross country in the UK where you can just land anywhere. You you you've got to be aware of your surroundings, aware of the terrain, aware of what the wind's doing. And I you know I've got it wrong a couple of times, uh, flown into places where. In hindsight, <laughs> pretty stupid. But yeah, we all we all make mistakes. Yeah, that's almost unavoidable, really. I mean, that's yeah. the, that's that's definitely something you should know before you start. <laughs> you're, you're gonna if you're doing a bivy, you're going to most likely get into a position where you're you're not that psyched with. Yeah, but I mean, one one guy on our trip a couple of years ago, he had flown some good distances out in um, beer I think it was um, but it didn't really prepare him for for the complexity of the Alps uh, so yeah we wouldn't want anyone uh, coming on 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 the trip with um, you know who's not flown in the Alps before I mean I do some competitions out out there you know like the um, uh, what are the various little competitions? The the Sharbra Open mm. at Lorania. Get a get a feel for flying in that in that part of the world. Mm. There's there's quite a few of those sort of you know intermediate level comps that will that will give you a good you know understanding of what's going on out there. I mean, in terms of skills, sort of flying skills. I mean, like you always say, top landing is uh, the ability to do that is is paramount, but there's always there's always places to to land. You don't have to top land. You can land down in the in the valleys. But I mean, I'm not saying we all need to have Kriegel or, or Patrick von Cannell's skills at you know flying the wall landings. However nice it would be to have them, you know, we're not we're not preparing for the X Alps here, are we? Well, you are, of course. But for us, you know, it's not it's not that critical. Just on a on a regular little Volbiv trip. So you, you're you're picking sensible places to land, rather than, whoa, there's a poacher's stamp. I need to land here, or else I'm down in the valley bottom. It's not we're not quite doing the same thing. I would I would put out a little listener just a heads up and maybe a uh, PSA here real quick that you know I I know many of you listening probably follow Kriegel and and Patrick and uh, you know they've been doing this top landing challenge thing and it's all just on. Un- 
unreal. It's awesome what these guys are doing. I've been working really hard at this kind of for the last six months. And I will just put out there that this is super top level. It's not necessary. Um, you don't need to learn how to top land like that. And, you know, I would just put a warning that this is, this is extremely top level flying that these guys are doing and, and showing. And they're, they're obviously, they're not bragging. They're not putting it out there to try to, you know, inspire other people to do it, I don't think. And so don't be, t don't be overly inspired to go learn that. It's an awesome skill. It's great to have in your toolkit, of course, but it's not really necessary to do, uh, you know, awesome bivvies. I had no idea that this even existed for all the big bivvies that I've done. I, I'd never seen that or even thought about it. And yeah, just heads up. <laughs> you get that timing wrong. Yeah. It is really extreme. You're, you're totally right there. I mean, yeah, it's, I've never needed to do anything like that. No, so, uh, no. yeah. I mean, in terms of weather forecasting, yeah, I've, um, we, we use Meteo Parapont, which was, I mean, it's, it's, a the information is presented in a really nice, easy, understandable mm. way uh, as to whether it's accurate or not. I don't know. One of the, one of the days, uh, on this trip, it was forecasting really strong winds in the Trento Valley, and I got there, and there was nothing really. Um, and as it sort of changed, slightly changed my plans. I end up sort of landing when maybe I needn't have landed. I guess you don't want to just use one one source. We were also looking at um, soaring meteo as well. Mm. It's a little more complex, but that gives you a good a good uh, overview a few days out looking at thermal quality what other ones sometimes yeah just getting an overview of the weather you know sometimes just whether it's sunny or not is going to be all all you need mm. uh, so you know meteor swiss is a is a good app actually yeah, that gives you that's great uh, gives you winds you know actual wind speeds in the valleys which is nice to know yeah i was going to uh, say are you checking anything on the fly well Yes, sometimes. Um, yeah, like this year I had a flight from Sambui to to sort of just past Martini, you know, land, end up landing in in the Sion Valley, made a, a little bit of a mistake there in, in my route choice or decision-making at the very end. And so, but before, before I reached that decision point, I had opened up the Meteor Swiss app and had checked the, the winds um, in Sion. And I could see that it was like 20 kilometers an hour. So I thought, well, you know, that's fine. If, if I do end up landing down in the valley there, it's going to be manageable. And on that Bellinzona flight as well, I, I was checking the winds as I was sort of going down that Arola Valley towards Bellinzona. And what are you using for that? Are you using Wind Alert or Meteo Swiss? Uh, Meteo Swiss, yeah. yeah. I mean, if there's... I, that's terrific. Alert. Yeah, there was another. There's another one that someone told me about. Um, can't remember what it is offhand, but it may have been that wind alert one. Was that? As far as I know, it's mainly Switzerland that has these sort of valley. Yeah, valley wind. I've, I've usually right. when I'm in Europe, I'm using the the Meteo Swiss. Uh, is it? It it's really terrific. I mean, I think the point here for those who haven't flown in the Alps is um, that. Valley winds can often be an issue and they're not an issue if you know about them because you just land high. 
you know, side land or you just don't, don't, don't subject yourself to them. And it's, it's no problem. So it's, I think it's a good thing to be observing if you can. And that's a whole nother skill level, you know, checking your phone and tapping into all that kind of stuff, but that having some of that tech really helps. And, and like you said, I mean, in terms of the accuracy or non-accuracy, you know, in 2015, we did it on the fly. You know, my buddy Bruce did all the weather in 2017 and 2019. We had an actual weather pro, you know, who was supporting a couple of other pilots he has in every race since the beginning, since 2003. And he's a proper, you know, Meteo France. Uh, he's a pilot mm. and a Meteo France weather forecaster in you know, lives in Chamonix. So he's got the eight screens going and the whole thing. And this isn't a knock against him whatsoever, but, uh, you know, he, he provides valuable information, but the accuracy of it is, is, is not much better than what you get from the apps really. I mean, and, and it's often just not accurate. I mean, mm -hmm. what we're dealing with and that, again, it's not a, a knock on him at all. It's, it's more that we're flying in the micro part of our climate, which, a lot of the uh, weather models just don't pick up. You know, it's we're being affected by a lot of things at the micro level that the models aren't going to get and often don't get it right. So you kind of, like you said, you kind of got to go to know. Would yeah. You agree? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, a lot of it is just observation of what's actually happening in the air around you, mm. uh, you know, and and on the horizon. Mm. And one 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 thing I. Uh, learned slightly to my to my cost um last year 2019 um, i ended up on that bit on that bivy trip end up in andermatt and um i'd flown that day from uh oh yeah just near near fish actually you know, so up um, and over the furka and yeah we, um so i'd taken off at fish yeah, and actually, it was uh, it wasn't the you know it wasn't the best of conditions, so we didn't get. Oh yeah, we went over the Furka Pass. That's right. At the yeah, over the Furka Pass, and then got to Andamat. And um, there is a couple of uh, windmills, uh, wind turbines on the hill uh, to the north of Andamat. Mm. And that I was trying to, as I was approaching them, I was looking, seeing which way they were turning around. I was trying to work out. Well, they're going. Um, they were actually going anti-clockwise, but I was just trying to work out, can you tell without knowing which way they turn, <laughs> whether the wind, whether they're facing into wind or not, you know, relative mm. to you. Mm. And um, I, because the previous year I'd done a, a similar flight from Fiche and had soared up that, that south facing slope underneath these turbines, I sort of convinced myself that that's what the wind was doing rather than the wind normally comes uh, hits Andamat comes from the north there and anyway so these these wind I, I last year then I ended up getting into a bit of rotor just by these turbines Ugh. yeah well not just by them but, you know yeah I was well away from them but in that vicinity the wind was clearly coming from the north and I'd sort of convinced myself on part based on past experience that it well it's probably going to be working there it's a south facing slope yeah, and those turbines must be just reflecting the the uh anabatic wind blowing up the slope and uh yeah so a bit of rotor and i thought that was the end of sort of like eight days i thought okay i'll just 
I'll just go and land now. Let's call it a day. You know, <laughs> I had a good, good. I, had a, I had a good run of it. Right. Um, but there is a rule because uh, wind turbines do always rotate clockwise uh, when they are facing into the wind. Sort of if you're viewing it hmm. from in front of them, as it were. So to try and summarise that, if if you're looking at a wind turbine and it's going around clockwise then the wind is blowing from you towards it. And if I just known that simple rule, I would have uh, I would have known not to go into that little area. Ah, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah, so they all they all turn clockwise when when you know when facing into the wind when you when you look at them from in front. So yeah, because they don't swivel, right? So what you're saying is if they're if they're oh yeah, no, they do swivel. Oh, they but, do. Okay. But they only go around one way. Ah, okay. 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 I'm not. I'm with you. Yeah. Because we were, boy, we were dealing with a lot of wind turbines down in Texas. It's they're, they're, they're there's a pucker factor there, <laughs> for sure. They're big, and they look like yeah. they're going so slow, but the tips are going at something like 205 miles an hour, 105 miles. They're going really fast. They're moving. You don't want to play with those things. No. No. I. I mean, this the whole. People have discussed about, you know, what's the turbines like behind them, but I sort of think it's not quite as bad as you think because it's not pushing air. It's actually, right, you know, right. moving energy from the air, isn't it? Yeah. So, I just don't know that we want to drop ourselves into there and find out. <laughs> <laughs> no, not out of choice, but they are often good trigger points. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. No, they, they saved me quite a few times in Texas, but then they didn't sometimes too. So <laughs> then you're like, oh, I get to a road. So what's, what are, what, like, the, take me back to that first, the, the big trip you did with Nigel, when you got done, what were the things you put in your notebook? Okay, well, we got to do that differently next time. Gear or food or uh, route or anything? Uh, I think I sort of refined gear a little bit, but you're always sort of doing that. But uh, the route, again, you know, we didn't have a set route in mind. We were sort of flexible. No, you know, for the for the I did a trip the following year, and uh, I, I think I, pretty much everything I took was was the same as the previous year. Mm. I think this something we sort of found out on this year's trip. We found ourselves um, after even after day one split up into sort of three three pairs of, of, of two, and that was all. That was all fine because we all had company. But then at the end of the second day, I had a, a fantastic flight. I landed in Eugene. Chris was, oh, I don't know, maybe 40 minutes behind me. I didn't know where he was. I wasn't seeing him on live track. Um, he didn't know where I was. Our radios weren't really working because I was now down in the valley. I did, I did hear him just as I was coming into land at Eugene, but I wasn't in a position to reply and it ended up he he went up a different valley he uh you know flew about the same distance he but had he had we been in touch we would have he could have you know landed with me and we would have had a a, a night together and had a a, a cool flight not a couple of days later so comms in the air is definitely something that I think we could improve on uh, definitely live tracking. Everyone needs to have that up and running and working. I know 
the FLAM devices help with the sort of shorter range, uh, uh, seeing where, you, where your mates are, but uh, that's sort of in its infancy, really, because I know apps like FlySkyHigh, you, you, at the moment, you can't allocate a name to a FLAM ID, so you just mm. see the sort of arrow on the screen, so you don't know who it is. Mm. But Life, LifeTrack24 is probably the, the, the way to go. But plus having an alternative, easy-to-use means of communicating in the air without necessarily relying on radios. And I know, Gavin, you, you mentioned in, uh, was it your recent one about an app um, that you were using for like two-way, uh, like a walkie-talkie app? Yeah, Zello. Um, we use Zello and yeah, there's others, but it's it's basically just turning your phone into a radio. Yeah, and I know you're not going to have internet the whole time, but... Yeah, but you know what it does is it stores it. So you can... You know, they've got these little, I, I've always just used it from the phone, but they've actually got a Bluetooth, a little push button you can just put on your helmet. So it Bluetooths to your phone and you can, we always just set up a, a Zello group before we go flying. And, and we, we use that here where we've got 5% of the cell that you do in the Alps. So, I mean, there are places for sure, like you said, in the Alps where you're down in a canyon or something, you don't have cell, but it's for the most part, it's pretty good. And you can you just hit that button on the side of your helmet like you're hitting a radio and it'll put that message to the group if you've got it set up that way or to one person you know so if i'm just flying with revis or somebody i'll just be revis and i and but the nice thing about it is it also saves it so if you're not in cell and you just press the button it'll record that and as soon as you are and they are there's obviously a two-way thing here then that person will get it so that that's really nice. Uh, we used it. We use it a lot in the race because we don't use a radio in the race. It's too much weight, and uh, so that's kind of how we're communicating. I, I like that a lot more than using, you know, a Telegram or a WhatsApp. But another thing that we utilize quite a bit when we're flying for location and that kind of thing, like you said, the Fly Sky High is great, or the the Live Track is great, but. Um, we'll turn on, you know, just turn on, share your live position for eight hours kind of thing in, okay. in telegram. So again, we'll make a telegram group, uh, same as we would with like the Zello, but we'll just make a telegram group with just the pilots we're flying with that day. This is really handy in terms of for emergency and that kind of thing too. It's, it's super helpful. It just makes it quick, but you, and then you can just share your location. Now, the only downside is you're burning a lot of juice, you know, so that's, you've got to have your phone connected to an external battery. So yeah. I've never used. But are, you, are you burning more juice than if you're using it? I don't uh, think so. You know, I don't know. I don't if know. You're if using it's, Fly Sky High or XC Track anyway. Yeah, I've never actually done the, it just seems like it's burning through more battery, but do I actually, is it actually, I don't know. You know, I mean, I've, I've always got that I use that same battery you do that anchor 10,000 milliamp. Mm -hmm. It's great. You know, so that'll keep you going all day. No problem. So I don't know if this is a great multi-day solution in a bivy environment, if you can't charge up your stuff, but that would definitely, I would think it would use more, but um, those two things you can do it in WhatsApp or telegram. We, we've been using mm, telegram yeah. more. I think Telegram's better at that, but then, you know, and of course, the big qualification here is how good are you with your hands and using the phone in the air? You know, some people can do it. Like, I mean, Revis can do anything on his phone in the air. He's amazing. And I'm less than that. So, you know, so it depends on how much you like to do stuff in the air, but 
it, that can be really great because you just click on it and you can instantly see where their last ping was, you know, so it may not be live, yeah, but yeah. it's, it does help. And it's nice to, especially when you land to have kind of all those things going and you can, you know, you can put together the puzzle pretty quick. Yeah. I mean, in the UK, we, and actually it's been a few other countries are, are using it now. We have a uh, thing called XC Retrieve, which uses Telegram. Mm. Um, and you, you have, we've got various different retrieve groups uh, set up around the country. So we've got one in the Southwest, sort of my area. We've got Wales, we've got sort of Central, we've got Lake District, blah, blah, blah. But so when you land, you, you drop a pin in there and you can... Uh, your next message is a little message saying, yeah, packing up, yeah. um, going yeah, to to wherever. Um, and you put the sort of hashtag hash map on it. And then if you go to a, a, a website, xcrt.aero, then you can see all the pins for, for everyone in the UK, you know, on the, on the same map. So you can, Brilliant. you don't even have to be in the same group as them, but you look on this map, you can see, Oh, look, Joe Bloggs there has ah. landed down the road from me. Yeah, go pick I him didn't up. know that. Yeah, cool. And you can, you can click on his pin and then message him, and then you might want to share a taxi or, or he might have a retrieve driver, and you can sort of share lifts. So, yeah. And and we use that in our vol bibs as well for sort of sharing positions uh, once we've landed, but it's not, it's not so uh, – you sort of don't tend to use it in the air, mm. although it will show it shows live track twenty four positions as well on it, um, and uh, in reach and and spots. So it's it's pretty flexible. But yeah, the just having the sh- sharing your live position in Telegram just amongst the little group of people you're flying with actually that could work quite well. Yeah, I'm going to check. Uh, might try that with some. Yeah, that it does. It works flying. works quite well. And, and like I said, that the communications app Zello is. I I couldn't believe how much we used it in the last race. I mean, it was, it was 99% of our comms. It's, it's unbelievable. Mm -hmm. It's really, it's really great. And, and it's amazing how well it works here in the West where we have very little cell. I mean, it'll still, as soon as you get to, you got coverage for a minute, it boom, 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 they go back and forth and you know, it's, it's, it's quite useful because, you know, radios, like you said, I mean, radios are a must, but yeah, I'm not going to carry one in the X Alps, and there are just there's times in Bivy where it'd be nice to you know not carry that brick, and you know it's another thing to charge, mm-hmm. another thing. But I mean, I think for emer- I don't want to discourage people from carrying radios. I think radios are really key, especially when it comes to emergencies. But yeah, there's there's other stuff that's 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 valuable. You know, for for sure, if you're not going to carry a radio, you you had you got to have an in reach anyway, just period. <laughs> but then an in reach yeah, yeah, becomes really yeah. really important. That that's that's super handy, but. And is this a Tim? Is this like a guided thing? Like, are people paying to go on these, or is it just no, just no? Mates? This is this is. I just we just called it um, uh, the Gumball Tra- Trans Alps Rally ah. after that Gumball Trans Trans <laughs> you know Trans America film, right? That sort of race. This isn't a race. It's just a an excuse to sort of find some people to go go bibbing with. I mean, we did get you know you get split up pretty rapidly, and I spent most of that you know this last trip on my own. Which is fine, but you know sometimes a bit of company is quite nice. Mm. So yeah, the the more the merrier on on this trip, as far as as, as far as we're concerned, as long as you know you've, you've got the relevant relevant experience. If you haven't, then hire a guide and do it with a guide. Mm. But no, it's just an idea to encourage people to do it. Get more people doing it, really. Yeah, oh, yeah. Neat. And we've got 
within the UK, we've, I've, I set up this Facebook group, um, the UK Volbiv Pilots, and it started off to like 20 or 30 people, and now there's, there's like 350 or almost 400 people in the group. Holy yeah, smokes, it's really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, they're not all British pilots. There's, there's a few, you know, from all, all the rest Jeez, of the world. That's but awesome. um, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of interest in it. And you know, from my own experience, you just need a, a little bit of a uh, a push to to actually give it a go. I mean, the, so the, that was the idea. And we're doing another trip this year, or in twenty twenty one. I was going to say, okay, so next, what? Now that you've done these, you did the first one twenty eighteen, twenty nineteen. You did what? You did one this year in twenty twenty two. So this is, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. What? What? How? What have you refined about timing and and where? You know, so where where will you go, and what time of the year have you decided is kind of the best is the sweet spot for the next one? Yeah, well, we're we're still um, we're still well. We've got the time. I think we we're going to go in in July, mm-hmm. sort of middle two weeks of July probably, uh, but basically sometime in the July. We we haven't. We're trying to decide whether to, you know, do the similar route to what we've done before, i.e., from sort of like Saint Andre north. Woods and and then uh, eastwards from Chamonix, you know that's a that's that's a logical route, you know, heading mm. um, west to east because you've got the the general prevailing wind is is yeah. from the west in those in those northern Alps. But we quite like the idea of a bit of a change of scenery, maybe you know potentially start in Slovenia and uh, go via Austria and then you know head. Head into Switzerland from Austria. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're still we're still wondering about about that. Or we start in Chamonix and sort of cut out that the first sort of two or three days and and just go head east from Chamonix, um, or you know Annecy or somewhere like that. Mm. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I but guess I, I, just, I guess if you're going kind of mid July, you're starting to orient definitely towards the bigger stuff. You're definitely getting into the time of year where you've got stability is can be an issue down in the lowland, especially in, on the Italian side. So yeah, you're you're kind of probably yeah. wanting to play with the bigger stuff, getting above the inversions. Yeah, that's, that's I mean, I a few years ago I did a little bit of research looking at flights on X contest, you know, which I'd, I'd pick a sort of area and just see how many how many flights over a hundred k were there in each month, um, and it seemed like you know May and well June, let's say. You get some absolutely mega days in June, but you get more non-flyable days mm. in between. What time you get to July, the weather, yeah, it's a little, it's more settled. It's sure. um, so it's definitely more reliable, but you don't get such, you know, real five-star days. Right. Uh, well, you, you can do, um, but yeah, you, the stability can be an issue uh, for sure. You know, in the Albertville Valley, it can get quite stable. You know, between Grenoble and Albertville, and yeah, like you say, in the in those uh, Italian sort of lakes regions, it can get pretty stable. Yeah, so yeah, next next year maybe try and avoid that bit. But you know, you just go with go with the flow. If you've got a few days, some windy days further north, then you sort of progress southward. Yeah, it's just. And would you, would you, uh, would you all just, you know, if you've flown into a Venus flytrap area, it just looks terrible for a few days. Would you just get on a train and go somewhere else? Good question. I, 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 I think we probably would do. Mm. Yeah. You know, just to, yeah, like this year, I, I 
ended up uh, getting a couple of bus rides to get from where I landed just to the uh, west of Trento to get across to uh, Levicho Terme. Um, as it happens, it was pretty stable the next day after that. So uh, didn't ah, made a, a few kilometers progress, about 40k that last, my final day. But I started slightly kicking myself because I didn't didn't do enough route planning down in that sort of southern Dolomite sort of area. And I should have, from the day before, I should have made my way more to, uh, is it Bolzano? Mm-hmm. And then across into the Dolomites from there. I think uh, I probably would have got some better air. But, you know, you live and learn, don't you? <laughs> well, that's the beautiful thing about it. I mean, and you mentioned beer. You had that pilot that, you know, that there, there's so many places in the world too where you can do some really neat I mean, even Colombia, they're doing they're doing some really cool bivvies in the Valle de Caca. You know, I always go down and just race Rodonio, you know, and do the same mm-hmm. thing every time I go. And yeah, I mean, there there's been lots of really cool stuff being done down. You know, and it's just it's just flying up and down that valley. But you know, there's lots of places to top land, and there's you know, it's cheap, and you know, there's there's places like this mm-hmm. all over the world that are really fun. But I. I like that you guys are focusing on the Alps because it's, it's, uh, you know, I think, I think you learn a lot and it's just so friendly for it, isn't it? I mean, you don't, you, you, you don't have to, you don't have to crack yourself. You can take the gondola, you can take the train, you can take the, it's just so easy to get around and, and move pretty quickly. And, you know, you can, you can keep it pretty, uh, you can keep it pretty. Yeah. Yeah. We're not all we're not all hardcore adventurers like you, Gavin, or, or the likes of uh, you know Benjamin Jordan. God, have you seen his latest? Trip? I he just saw that on Instagram. Just cra- I had no idea he was even doing that last year. You know, was... no, he kept that very quiet, didn't yeah, he? Um, yeah. God, all the way from flying from Mexico up to Canada over yeah, basically half a year it took him. Yeah, that's a, uh, that's but, a, I mean, it's the line I mean, you would getting... take to. It's oh, holy cow! He he, he would have seen some yeah. incredible terrain. Yeah, I mean, I, I was definitely sort of missing home comforts after you know nine or ten days, so I, I was quite glad to get home. Mm. Um, a nice comfy bed and mm-hmm. nice, <laughs> nice food again, and see the family, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I mean, God, thank you away for you know six months, five <laughs> five months. I don't know. That's that's pretty hardcore. It is pretty hardcore. Yeah, I'm sure it'd be an entertaining film. Yeah. Tim, just before we close up here, you've been at this for a long time, 30 years. You've heard this question a million times on the show, but if you could go back or you could rewind the clock to your 50-hour self or just, just you know, do it all over again, what would you change? I'll I tell you what, um, I, I stopped entering flights in, in our national cross-country league a couple of years ago, and and that was quite um, liberating. I I, I you know, it's nice. I had been, you know, for the last 20 years, religiously putting every flight in in the cross country league and comparing it to other flights. You know, and there was there was a a lot of pressure to be out on the really good days because otherwise you'd you'd miss out on you know your points in the XC league. Nowadays, I just put in X contest as a sort of record. Yeah, um, like your log. Actually, yeah, it's like a log. Yeah. So you know that is that was a a bit of a breakthrough really, and that sort of coincided with um, you know really enjoying the Volbib, more sort of a, a adventurous flying. To me, it's the the yeah. I mean, we've talked about this quite a bit. The the kilometer crunching 
um, approach isn't very sustainable, is it? I mean, you, you really have to. Yeah. I mean, I, I was yeah. way into that for a while and I still do. I mean, we have this, we have the U S contest, you know, here the last, they just started that the last few years. And, you know, this summer I, I put a lot of energy into it until, you know, until Kiwi disappeared and that kind of took over for us for a while. But, um, you know, and that was really fun because it, it forced me to go out and, and fly things that I hadn't thought about. And that was, that was really neat. But, but as a, as a lifestyle of the of the sport, I don't dig it. It just, it just doesn't work. It just puts me into shitty air, and I don't need to do that. I mean, I, you know, I, I try to reserve my shitty air for the exiles. <laughs> there's only so much psychological yeah. trauma we can handle, you know, or at least that's how I'm feeling about things these days. I mean, the the UK XC League is a, is a great resource of you know flight information and, and everything, and it, it, it's you know it's fun to see how you're doing compare, comparing yourself to others. But when you, I think my best ever place in the league was like I don't know I can't remember eighth or ninth a few years ago. But I know that I'm never going to get to the top because I just don't have the time. And then when you've got like a family christening or a wedding or, 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 you know, even just kids' birthday parties or something like that to go to and, you, and it's a beautiful day and you, you can't go flying. It's just sort of, <laughs> and you know, all your mates are doing 100Ks and everything. It's, it just puts, it just makes you unhappy. And, you know, why go there? If, you, if, you're not, if you're not doing the league, you know, all that pressure is lifted off you. You just, you're not missing out on your, your Tesco points, you know. Yeah, points in the league. It's just uh, you just fly for the fun of it, and that's how it should be. So the other thing I wanted to mention was, uh, well, let me just tell this story. It's back in 2012. I can't believe it's so long ago, April 2012, and the forecast down in the south of England was absolutely rubbish. Forecast up in the Highlands of Scotland was five star. So there was about a dozen of us from the south, we all headed up there in a few cars and we got up to, we, we the night before and then we got to White Corries, uh, which is a site near Glencoe on the Saturday morning and it was just beautiful conditions. Um, I did a nice little triangle out in front first before I sort of worked out what the day was doing and then I started I had this plan to fly from White Curries up to sort of Fort William. That's pushing into wind, then trying to get onto basically Ben Nevis and then fly back to White Curries. And that would have been a, a really nice little house and return. It didn't quite work like that. I managed to push all the way through uh, into wind up to Fort William. And I just couldn't, didn't have enough height to get onto the sort of, um, what's it called? Annette Moore range. So I you know, decided to head back and I got a nice climb out from Fort William. The wind was pushing me southwest and I was running alongside Loch Linney, which, which uh, Fort William is at the sort of northernmost end of. And the sky to the west, i.e. to my right as I was flying sort of southwest, was beautiful and the mountains were beautiful and it just looked epic. The sky to my east, where I'd come from, was getting a bit overdeveloped and spread out. And I think there were a few spots of rain. And 
I had to, I was in such in two minds. Um, should I just carry on with this thermal that was drifting me over Loch Linney? It was about a kilometre uh, crossing of the of the lock, and then I'd hit the mountains on the other side. I was just full of doubt. How am I going to get back from there if I cross over the lock? I could really, I could see there was a little uh, ferry at Corran, and you know, but I just put all these doubts into my mind. Um, and there was another thing. I'd arranged dinner at this place where we were. We were due to stay that night, and there were other people with me, you know, staying there. And in the end, I. I wimped out and landed on the eastern side of Loch Linney uh, because I fell out of the thermal, of course, because I couldn't keep with it. And to this day, I regret not just going with my gut and really, uh, you know, going to the good sky on the on, on the other side of the lock. You know, worst would have, that would have happened, I would have had a bit of a walkout. Um, I could have flown another 50 or 60 kilometers and landed on the Isle of Mull. Um, and then that would have been a real adventure, you know, having to get a ferry back. And, you know, it would have been a story to dine out on uh, for the rest of time. But uh, I wouldn't out. So the point of that story is um, really to just go for it. You know, if you get a chance like that, it doesn't matter what if you if you end up having an epic retrieve. That's all part of the fun. Don't. Uh, don't wimp out, and mm. for sure, with my with my lightweight gear that I've got now, I'd absolutely definitely do that. Back back, you know, in 2012, I was on much heavier gear, so yeah, I guess that was, you know, weighing on my mind as well as it would have been weighing on my back. But yeah, that's all I wanted to say, really. Mm. Uh, yeah, and there's that seize the day. I mean, there are those times, isn't it, where it's just totally appropriate to to go for it. Well, I hope you get another opportunity like that. That's I'm, I'm visualizing. I mean, I, I haven't flown anywhere you just said, but I'm visualizing, you know, flying over the locks, and uh, that would have been that would have been a crusher. But uh, well, hopefully you'll get another chance. It's an awesome place to fly. Yeah, I'm I'm dying for another uh, trip up to Scotland. You know, when the, when the weather's good up in you know up in the highlands of scotland it is unbeatable as a place to fly you know you often get six seven thousand foot cloud base which you know when the mountains are only three thousand foot max you, you, you know you you've got huge height over the terrain and it is just so wild and spectacular yeah mm. it's beautiful yeah brilliant i it's some of the best flying some of the more memorable flying I've ever had. It certainly was, you know, nothing challenging and nothing radical by any means. But, you know, we spent almost a complete summer sailing the Outer Hebrides and Orkney Islands back in, you know, yeah, 2010, I guess it was. Yeah, no, 2000, yeah, late, yeah, summer of 2011. And you could fly anywhere out in the Hebrides. It was unbelievable. You know, you just, you'd anchor in these, cool little bays and ride out these storms and and then you know there's no trees or anything you could just no matter what direction the wind was you could hike up you know 10 minutes and then soar it was all soaring i never did any xc um but i'm sure, sure you could that'd be pretty neat you know to fly from like the northern tip down to Barra or something but uh just yeah <laughs> i mean this the, the just the spec it was just beyond spectacular all the time. I actually took my mom for a tandem there. She was on the boat for a couple of weeks and she still talks about it as the best day of her life. It was just, it's just awesome. Uh, I can there. imagine. 
Yeah, wicked. Yeah, yeah, it is stunning. <laughs> well, next year, hopefully. Oh, man, that would have been good to go. <laughs> oh, yeah, because <I've, laughs> it was only last year, or, or, or uh, no, the year before, 2019, that the first people actually flew to Mull. Right. And oh, I reckon yeah. I could have done it if I'd just gone for it. But Yeah. Oh, well, man. Oh, we've all, we've all had plenty but of those. It doesn't matter. It was still a, it was a great, it was a great flight, whatever. And, uh, yeah, of course. I had a, we, we were staying at the, there's a, uh, there's an old, well, a railway line called the West Highlands, uh, West Highland Line, I suppose it is. And there's, we, a few of us stayed at this, um, old railway station that was a and b and they cooked for us there. And whilst we were there, this, this great big Pullman, was it? No, the, the Orange Express, you know, mm. um, carriages rolled into the station and it was just a it was a wonderful evening there we had a superb meal mm, but brilliant. You know, even so <laughs> yeah brilliant, brilliant brilliant a great place to end tim that was that was terrific it's fun to talk to you after all these years i mean we've been in touch since then but uh, i can't wait to see what you do next i was actually over in Europe after the race in 2019 and watching your expedition very keenly because it looked like a blast and it's, it is a really, it's a great finger of our sport that is that, and that you can uh, walk out on and, and really enjoy in a lot of different ways. So I think this will be inspiring for, for those thinking about doing it, but thanks for sharing your advice. We'll put up your, your kit list on the uh, in the show notes and anything else you want to share there and also I'll, I'll provide a link to your great videos and uh but thanks tim i appreciate it thanks very much gavin it's been a, a pleasure talking to you and and thanks for you know your contribution to to the sport through the you know cloud-based mayhem it's a, a fantastic resource and i look forward to each of the episodes when they when they come out so yeah cheers thanks very much that was, that was great. Thanks, Tim. I appreciate it. Talk soon. If you find the cloud-based mayhem valuable, you can support it in a lot of different ways. You can give us a rating on iTunes or Stitcher, or however you get your podcast. That goes a long ways and helps spread the word. You can blog about it on your own website or share it on social media. You can talk about it on the way up to launch with your pilot friends. I know a lot of interesting conversations have happened that way. And of course, you can support us financially. This show does take a lot of time, a lot of editing, a lot of storage and music and all kinds of behind the scenes cost. So if you can support us financially, all we've ever asked for is a buck a show. And you can do that through a one-time donation through PayPal, or you can set up a subscription service that charges you for each show that comes out. We put a new show out every two weeks. So for example, if you did a buck a show and every two weeks, it'd be about $25 a year. So way cheaper than a magazine subscription and it makes all of this possible. Uh, I do not want to fund this show with advertising or sponsors. We get asked about that uh, pretty frequently, but I, for a whole bunch of different reasons, which I've said many times on the show, I don't want to do that. I don't like having that stuff at the front of the show. And I also want you to know that these are authentic conversations with real people, and these are just our opinions, but our opinions are not being skewed by sponsors or advertising dollars. I think that's a pretty toxic business model. So I hope you dig that. Um, you can support us. If you go to cloudbasedmayhem.com, you can find the places to support. You can do it through patreon.com forward slash cloudbasedmayhem. If you want a recurring subscription, you can also do that directly through the website. Uh, we've tried to make it really easy, and that will give you access to all the bonus material, a little video cast that we do and 
extra little uh, nuggets that we find in conversations that don't make it into the main show, but we feel like you should hear. We don't put any of that behind a paywall. If you can't afford to support us, then just let me know and I'll set you up with an account. Of course, that'll be lifetime and hopefully you're being in a position someday to be able to support us. But you'll find all that on the website. Uh, All of you who have supported us or even joined our newsletter or bought Cloud-Based Mayhem merchandise, t-shirts or hats or anything, you should be all set up. You should have an account and you should be able to access all that bonus material now. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate your support. And we'll see you on the next show. Thank you.